I help women have babies every day who have no idea how many holes they have down there. Welcome to Sex, Body and Soul. I'm Kate Roberts, founder of The Body Agency. And on this show, we talk about the marvel that is our bodies, what they can do and what they need to thrive. Ladies out there, our time is now. Let's get to it. I am absolutely thrilled to welcome onto the show today, Dr. Jennifer Lincoln. She is a board certified gynecologist and also an attending physician in Portland, Oregon. She primarily works on labor and delivery. However, she is also an incredible educator and we're gonna talk about everything from discharge to sperm to taking your kids to the gynecologist and so much more. I am so thrilled to welcome onto the show, Dr. Jen Lincoln. Dr. Jennifer Lincoln, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me. I have been looking forward to this. Me too. Let's start by talking about your t-shirt. What are you wearing? Who are you wearing? There we go. I'm wearing something from Etsy. It's a famous designer. Because, you know, if you're an OBGYN, it says no country for old men. Uh Because you got to, you know... Stay out of my uterus, friends. I also have this. I should show you this too. The mug, Amazon the right uterus here. mug. Uterus I love mug. it. I love so it. So that's how you know you're in an OBGYN's house when there's like vaginas and uteruses everywhere in a very educational way. <laughs> well, as you know, we have yes! vaginas, vulva puppets. I love over it. Here. I love it. Body, it's not the weird body at all. Agency. <laughs> no, we're, we're the same people. Exactly. We are the same people. I love it. So. Dr. Jen, as you know, I've been stalking you. In fact, (laughs) I saw a video that you put out on TikTok with a vulva puppet. And I thought to myself, you need the body agency vulva puppet was my first thought. And my second thought was, (laughs) oh, wow, who is this woman? We are the same person. I love it. How did you go from being an incredible, renowned gynecologist to a TikTok sensation of almost... 10 million followers, almost. You are so sweet. So yeah, nothing I thought, I didn't think, oh, social media, that's what I'm going to do with my medical degree. But Mm -hmm. I just, I started using social media on Instagram in a professional way just to connect with other doctor moms because being a physician, being a female physician, being a mom physician, it can be really isolating. And I started following these accounts and then I saw how they were using it in an educational way. And I thought this is another great way to reach people and to educate. And I love to write. I was an English minor in college. And I just love, you know, the time that you have with people in front of you in the hospital, in the clinic is like minuscule compared to people being in front of their phones, their devices for education. And so I started a professional account on Instagram. It was terrifying at first. I thought, oh my goodness, this is ridiculous. And it took off and I loved it. And then some of my doctor friends were doing TikTok and I thought that's ridiculous. That's an app for, you know, 14 year olds. And they're like, Jen, that's like your whole audience. Hello. And I was like, wait, oh, you're right. So I made a TikTok and that first, the first one got censored, never got put up. And then I just re-uploaded it. And then overnight it got a million views and um, the rest is history and it's taken off and it's about going where people are. I mean, that's what public health mm-hmm. is. That's what education should be. And it's breaking down things in an evidence-based way, but still fun. And TikTok forces you to do that because you've got 30 seconds, you know, a minute or two to really grasp a concept, relay it and make it fun. And Mm. it's just gone from there. Um, So yeah, I love it. It's crazy though. 
It's how I met you. So I'm very, very grateful to social media. Likewise, same. And I know also you're a mother like me. Uh, I have a 10-year-old, as you know, Mm -hmm. a daughter. And I'm wondering, when do I take her to the gynecologist? When do I bring her to you? Yeah, I love it. Um, No, that's a question I get all the time from parents. And the answer, according to the American College of OBGYN, is age 13 to 15. And usually I get people who are like, well, okay, first of all, I'm 16. I haven't been yet. What now? Or parents who are like, are you serious? Or 15-year-olds who are like, wait, I'm going to have an exam in 15. Ah! And Mm. I'm like, okay, let's slow down and back up. So Mm -hmm. 13 to 15, it's more of like a meet and greet visit. Think of it that way. And the idea is that you are bringing your child to an OBGYN so that they've got somebody who can be there for them, for their questions, for their concerns, and can, like, let's get out ahead of the game before we have to undo all of these myths and all of these harmful ideas, you know, when it's kind of, it's already happened and it's too late. So the point is that you are meeting with somebody. It's really just a chat. We want to get out ahead in terms of talking about periods. What's normal? What's not? How to keep yourself safe if you're having sex or when you do have sex and no parents Taking your kids to us does not mean they're going to have sex. Talking about sex doesn't make sex happen. just means that when it does happen, they're going to be safer when they do it. Mm. And I think we can all agree that we want that for our kids. And an exam usually isn't indicated. So what about the kids who, I mean, I've talked to other mothers and Mm -hmm. their 10-year-olds have gotten their periods. And I think it, I mean, you're the expert on this, but it, it feels like Girls are getting their periods earlier and earlier now. I don't know whether mm-hmm. it's the water, what the food that we're giving, like what what causes that. But some nine and ten year olds get their periods, which mm-hmm. is very scary. Yeah. Should they then go to the gynecologist, or how does that work? I think that's an individualized case because I think that it depends on on how you, the information you feel like you're getting from your pediatrician. I mean, certainly it's a great reason to, because it's another chance where you can go to the GYN, talk about what's normal, what's not, and again, just be prepared. But many pediatricians are also very comfortable talking about the basics of these things. Not all, for sure. And so that's why you could always check in with your pediatrician and say, hey, my daughter just got her period. Can we come in and chat about this? And if your pediatrician goes, oh, oh you know, that's not what we do in our office, well, then you've got your answer. And I feel like I have a look into this inside world because I'm married to a pediatrician and all of my best friends are pediatricians. And I can tell you there's varying levels of comfort with that. But yeah, it's okay to ask. And I think it's great once your kiddo has a period to talk Mm -hmm. about it and to not, you know, be like, oh, she's too young to hear about X, Y, and Z. It's super important because they need to know how their bodies work. Yeah. Well, as you know, we have the coming of age kit at the Body Agency where we want to prepare parents with both the guide and all the things, you know, all the different methods of mm-hmm. uh, dealing with your period. So it's easier for them, including the the puppet, yeah. the vulva puppet. What kind of things in your experience of receiving young girls in your practice, what are the things that girls and boys are most embarrassed about? And how can we as parents prepare them for that? So it's more of a natural and comfortable experience rather than yeah. somebody poking around your genitals, which mm-hmm. is still uncomfortable, right? right For all of us totally. when we go. <laughs> right. No. Well, first of all, I love that they, that there's a kit because mm-hmm. I think that tangible things are really important to help have these conversations. And I feel for parents. I'm one too. I mean, I've got two boys and even though I'm trained in this, when you're talking to your own kid, it's okay to have those feelings. And I feel for parents who never got 
this education themselves in school or from their own family. So to expect them to know how to do it and be comfortable and open and feel like they've got all the answers with their own kids, that's totally ridiculous. So being able to prepare themselves with information and then also having tangible things where, you know, you've got a puppet and we're, we laugh, we're like, oh my goodness, a vulva puppet. Mm -hmm. But how great is it to be able to say, let's talk about this anatomy here because I help women have babies every day who have no idea how many holes they have down there or don't understand their own anatomy. And like, that's so sad. Yeah, exactly. There's a beautiful sticker and it's not shameful. It's not dirty. It's a body part, right? It's totally. It's just like, you know, I mean, we talk about noses and butts and we talk about all sorts of things, ears, whatever, like it's just the same thing. So in terms of what young people tend to be embarrassed about, there's a lot. I think the, the biggest thing is discharge and smell. And I'd say this is more for vagina owners than penis owners. And that's because Mm -hmm. in the society, we've decided that vaginas are supposed to smell like rosebuds and anything other than that is gross or dirty. And that's why we have so many slang names for vaginas and vulvas. And most of them are derogatory. Yep. And so I think that's a a, a huge one. And we don't talk about discharge and the fact that discharge is normal to an extent and to be able to recognize that. And we don't talk about self-pleasure enough. We talk about Mm. how, you know, most of sex ed is don't have it, don't do it, or you'll die. And then once you're married, be sure to do it and be a sex kitten because that's how we have branded women, especially in the United States. Yeah, right. Just, you know, perfect. Mm -hmm. But we don't Mm -hmm. teach young people that it's okay for sex to feel good because we're so scared. Oh, my God, then they're going to go do it. Well, what's the most safest form of sex? Sex you have with yourself. So it's okay to talk about masturbation. It's okay to talk about spontaneous erections and nocturnal emissions and and what your clitoris is and why it's an awesome organ. So how about we talk about that? Because then you're not making your kids feel so dependent on these ideas of what sex is supposed to be or that they even need a partner. And I'm not saying teach your nine-year-old to masturbate like what some of these crazy people take it to a crazy extent, but age-appropriate discussions. Like it starts with your toddler. When you notice them touching themselves, you're like, oh, that feels good, doesn't it? Here's the rules about that, honey. We do it in our bedroom. It's private. And then you wash Mm -hmm. your hands afterwards. That's it. Done. (laughs) Wow. Well, I think it's fantastic that you're having these conversations as a doctor. So it's, you know, we trust you, right? You're, you're talking about this almost like it's scientific because it is. These are our body parts. Right. It's just biology. We have a clitoris for a reason. Yeah. The only reason is pleasure, as we all know. And I know you have two sons and we, we're also developing a guide to how to talk to your sons because nobody's done that. And all these boys out there who are young get access to porn, think that that's what they should be doing with girls, and they don't actually sit down and really study the vagina. They don't know their way around a vagina. In fact, as you say, most women don't realize that we do have three holes. Um, Mm -hmm. And so educating boys is very, very important. And why do you think, Jan, that we've never really talked about that or, or developed products for, as I like to say, real men or wannabe real men. Like, why is that not done? I mean, we, we talk about erectile dysfunction till the cows come home uh-huh. and billions of dollars are plugged into that. But why have we never, apart from you and I and a handful of others, thought about how to talk to boys about lady parts and what goes on down there? Because if you do that, Kate, they will go out and have sex and that's terrible and it should just be until marriage, you know, and then that's it and they'll figure it out. And like, that's literally, (laughs) I think that's the idea. And it's very much the patriarchal idea that women exist for sexual pleasure. So it's on us to make sure that things are good in the bedroom Mm. 
And it's just this idea that we exist for that. And so to think that we would teach boys how to make the vagina owner feel good, like that's not what sex is supposed to be about, right? It's mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. it's about power and it's about all of these things. And so I think that's a big part of it. And I think just the fact that we don't even teach students in general. We, I mean, in many states, we don't even talk about sex education. So the idea that we might even venture into the world of like, here's how another body works and here's how it might feel good. That is so ridiculously crazy or, or out there, I should say, to some people. They can't even handle that. So it's the fact that we're just too afraid to talk about these things and we mm. need to talk about these things. Well, the fact that you have almost 10 million followers on TikTok. You know, I think it's only 2 million, Kate. I think it's two. Is it? I'm trying to remember. I think it is. I think it, but you know what? I'll take 10. I love 10. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm just thinking, I don't know. Like, it's all good. <laughs> you know what? Once you reach a million, it's, right? the rest is gravy. Um, I love but the, it. The fact that you did get all those followers yeah. means there's hope out there totally. that people want the information and people want the kits, people want the vulva puppets. They do because they are like, oh goodness, I, I'm not getting this in school. I'm not getting this from my parents. So they're going to social media. A lot of it's garbage. Some of it's good. And they, young people are so smart. They just want to know how their bodies work. So they want this yeah. information. And you might think, oh, my teenager doesn't want this. This is too awkward. They do. They do. Because yeah. they are going to get the answers from somewhere. And Pornhub is not the answer. No, no, <laughs> I absolutely agree. So let's talk about HPV for a second. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are scared to take yeah. their kids to the gynecologist to get the HPV vaccine. Both boys and girls are at risk. Can you talk through that? What's yeah. the risk? Yeah. So the risk is real because we know that HPV, which stands for human papillomavirus, there's thousands of strains, but there are some that are associated with developing cancer. And we talk so much about cervical cancer, but we need to not forget that it can cause cancer in the throat and the mouth, Mm -hmm. cancer of the penis, cancer of the anus. And all of these cancers put together are some of the most horrible, painful cancers to treat. And when you see them, you don't forget them. And the beauty of it is that we have a vaccine. We have a cancer-preventing vaccine. And you don't have to go to your OBGYN to get it. In fact, your pediatrician's office should be the one giving this because the ideal is to give it around ages 11 to 12. You can give it as young as nine because the idea is to give these to prevent getting HPV before they even have sex. And studies have again shown that giving this vaccine does not mean that your kids all of a sudden think it's okay to go out and have sex. That's how Mm -hmm. it's been branded by people who don't want sex to be talked about in school but this doesn't cause sex. And there has been a lot of misinformation online about what the HPV vaccine has been associated with. And there have been more than 270 million doses given. And according to the Vaccine Adverse Effects Reporting System, or VAERS, more than 270 million doses given since 2006 when it came out. And there's been no data to suggest any adverse effect, you know, any kind of signal or linking. The main thing that we see is what we call a vasovagal response where you pass out and teens tend to be pretty susceptible to this anyway, but that's very temporary and not harmful or dangerous. But you Google it and you see a ton of garbage that comes up. And this is from people who don't understand the science or people who are, you know, have a, have an agenda. And Mm. we know that it works. We've seen that since this vaccine has come out, the rates of cancer, cervical cancer specifically, and precancerous lesions, they've dropped. And the largest age that it's dropped in is in girls 15 to 20, And those are the ones who are more likely to be vaccinated. But Mm -hmm. the HPV vaccine rollout is a great example of how we screw up health education and sex education in this country. It was first only approved for girls. Yeah, but 
guys spread it too. So why did yeah. we put the burden on females to get this vaccine? And then people I woke know. up and they're like, oh, wait, I guess we should give it to the guys. Like that's a just total example of how we're blaming women and we're putting this all in women. Same thing with birth control. It's just crazy. So the HPV yeah. vaccine works. I can't wait for my um, 10-year-old when he turns 11 next year. He'll be getting it. And how we have that conversation is it's a vaccine that prevents cancer. And he'll be like, that's really awesome. And then we'll move on and that's it. Well, I think you would also add it's a sexually transmitted disease that mm-hmm. you're getting mm-hmm. that you're getting vaccinated against. Yeah. yeah, totally. And so are you recommending 11 is a good age to take your kid in to get the vaccine? Yeah. So currently um, the target age is 11 to 12, I think, according to the immunization schedule put forth by the American Academy of Pediatrics. But you can do it as young as nine. You can do it younger, too, if unfortunately a child is a victim of sexual abuse. Um, mm. You can do that, too. Mm. And you can now do it also, it's um, FDA approved in the U.S. up to age 45. That's just been lengthened. But you can do it past that because there's lots of seniors and people who are, you know, they've gotten divorced and now they're back out there and they absolutely can get it. You might just need to check with your insurance for coverage. Mm -hmm. So my 10-year-old came home the other day and was very excited to tell me that her stepsister had white stuff in her underwear. And (laughs) I needed a talk to her about discharge. And yeah, excited to go into this topic because as we know, there's sperm and we're going to talk about sperm. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever in my entire career said to anybody, I'm really excited to talk about sperm out loud. (laughs) I've thought about it a lot, but I've never had the opportunity to talk to a specialist about it. So I'm excited about that. But let's talk about discharge because it's definitely something that I thought was so embarrassing. I thought for pretty much my entire life as a female that there was something wrong with me, that mm-hmm. that I had discharge. And it was only through listening to female comedians about it who were willing to talk about it out loud that I was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, everyone has this and it's yeah. not embarrassing and it's quite normal. So when is it normal? When is it not? Yeah. Well, I love that your daughter even like talked to you about it and felt like she could talk to you. So you're Jen, obviously doing me. something right. <laughs> it's me. Come on. I, I chase her oh. around the house with this. And she's like, no. <laughs> the bubble puppet is coming at me. No, yeah. I think it's fantastic because so many kids don't feel comfortable. So we're joking, but it's it's great that she has that line of communication. And that's what I wish mm-hmm. for everybody. Um, so discharge, what's normal, what's not. It's totally normal, especially when girls, vagina owners are starting puberty. So it usually starts before their period. And it's a sign that puberty is happening in their period will probably be coming pretty soon because your estrogen and progesterone levels are going up. And so the vaginal lining of the vagina is changing. And what it is, is it's the the stuff that's coming out of the uterus, cervix, vagina. It's really, really glamorous. It's the mucus and old dead cells and that kind of thing. And so I use this term. I think it's very normal. I'm sure you do too. But most people mm-hmm. probably don't, where we say that the vagina is a self-cleaning oven. And so mm. that's what it is. It's like all the stuff coming out. It's And it's normal and it's healthy because it's your body's way of kind of sloughing off the things that it doesn't need anymore. And so what's normal is, you know, and this varies for everybody, but about a teaspoon a day can be a little more, a little less. And if you look at that, like put it on a panty liner like that, that seems like a lot, yeah. but that's normal. Um, And what I tell people is that, you know, clear to white, even a light yellow is normal, a light smell or no smell. And people say, well, what is a light smell? And I'm like, well, vaginas are supposed to smell like vaginas. So what's normal for you? That's normal. Now, if it's itching or burning or there's all of a sudden a change in color to gray or green or bright yellow or brown or whatever, or it seems like a whole lot more, it's causing you any concern, 
that might not be normal and we should we should check in about it before mm-hmm. you try to self-diagnose or self-treat because we're really bad at self-diagnosing ourselves. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and so some people will say, well, I've got so much discharge, I wear a panty liner. Sometimes that can create more because it's holding it up against yeah. the vulva and actually causing yeah. more to, <laughs> that yeah. moist environment, bacteria grow, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that can sometimes actually be a cause of it. But it's a sign of a healthy vagina and it tends to decrease once you go through menopause. Again, related to the opposite of what happens in puberty. So your estrogen mm-hmm. levels are decreasing. Mm-hmm. And that can lead to some, some symptoms like vaginal dryness, um, which I think we'll chat about a little bit later. But yep. Yep. But yeah. So, okay, well, that's very interesting. <laughs> Let's talk about some of these celebrity products that are out there. Hold on, let me take my blood pressure medication. So yeah, I know. I know. My, my, heart, my heart is racing <laughs> as well. Because I, I, I hate to say a certain, this candle smells of my vagina and it actually mm. smells of Rose's product was sent to me by various people. They meant well. They meant I, well, but they, they meant did well. not get it. They did and, not get the message. But I, I got it and I was offended. And my mm-hmm. second thought was, what damage is this doing? So let's talk about yeah. certain certain products that are out there that yeah. are sending messages like that. Yeah. So the number one OG offender, I mean, who we're talking about is Gwyneth, who... I loved in Shakespeare in Love. I even got one of my haircuts based on her, um, uh, like a really short haircut, really cute. Like, that's cool. Venturing into the world of goop and all of the stuff that she's put out there has, I think, caused a lot of damage. And that may sound dramatic, but I don't think it is. Because mm-hmm. when you tell people that you need to put a jade egg in your vagina, mm-hmm. that you need to steam your vagina to detox your <laughs> uterus, that your candle, this sends the message, like you said, like, your vagina should smell like this. It should smell like roses. Last time I checked, that's not what it's supposed yeah. to smell like. It's damaging. And then you also price these at ridiculous price points. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just they're the claim that these things are cultural. And, and you know, when she talked about the jade egg and Dr. Jen Gunter, who's an awesome OBGYN, she actually published a paper where she went back into anthropological data and could not find any reference about jade eggs being used in Asian societies. And so there's just a lot of stuff out there and it puts this idea that you have to spend a lot of money, do a lot of stuff to keep your vagina healthy. Like it, it needs all these products. Another one is Lo Bosworth, who I loved on the Hills. I loved her. And then she came out with the um, Love Wellness brand and she's quoted as saying, well, you have 15 products for your hair, but why doesn't your vagina have any? The reason is because it doesn't need it, Lo, yes. and it doesn't mean that you need to create all these products. Like less is more. Um, And so she came out with, you know, my least favorite product, the perfect condition vitamin for your vagina. And the fact that we're using the word perfect, the fact that there's an angel's halo on the bottle, it just plays into this whole purity culture, clean, you need to be pure and beautiful to be good. The Mm -hmm. fact that your vagina needs a vitamin, you know, let me Mm -hmm. tell you what, it doesn't. um, Again, it's all about money and it's about all these things that you need to do. We as women feel like we have enough to do in society. We don't need more crap hoisted upon us. So. And it drives me nuts because they have no background to be making these claims. And yet they do. Jeez, I have to stop steaming my vagina. What am I going to do? <laughs> I've never even heard yeah. of that before. Steaming your vagina. Oh my and goodness. And that is one, that's one that people have said, well, Jen, that's very, uh, there's a lot of cultures that do that. And so you're disrespecting these cultures when you say that. And to my answer to that is there's lots of things that might be culturally, you know, there might be cultural references, but it doesn't mean they're good. And I'll just say it, like female genital mutilation is a cultural thing that's practiced and it's it's mutilation is what it is. And mm-hmm. so I understand that maybe steaming has that root, 
But what if we replace that with some other things that honor the vagina, the uterus, women, femininity, that don't also potentially cause third-degree burns, that don't alter your vaginal pH, and that don't claim to do things like cure fertility issues or depression by detoxing or fumigating your uterus? Like, that's just not true. Wow. All such good stuff, Jan. A lot of women especially before sex, especially before oral sex, they want to go and freshen up, right? Mm -hmm. Personally, I take a bath or a shower and just use water. But these women who perhaps, you know, they're in a hurry and they want to smell good down there, Mm -hmm. what do you recommend? Yeah. So first, like rewind, why are we doing this? Are we doing it because our partner has made us feel that we need to smell, taste, look a certain way? Are we doing it because we want to feel that way? So two Mm -hmm. very different motivating factors. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I get it. Like, I have had followers who say, I'm so sick of OBGYN saying just use water. I've been mm-hmm. at work. I've you know, worked out. I want to have sex. I don't want to smell this way. I get it. Like, I'm normal too. But the key here is that it's not supposed to smell or taste like roses or yep. morning sunshine or violets or lavender or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And so if you feel like you need to freshen up on the go, honestly, using wet toilet paper is great because water mm-hmm. baseline is the best. Yep. But if you feel like you need a little bit more, there's plenty of products out there, but they all have essential oils or fragrances that can be really damaging. And so if you want to clean and use water, that's great. If you want to use something more, there are cleansers that don't have any of that and are okay externally, like Cetaphil or Cerave or Dove Sensitive. Mm-hmm. But I want you to really do not put anything inside. Do not yep. think that you need to go crazy. Be gentle because it's supposed to smell and taste like a vagina. That's just what it is. You have been down there a lot with lots of different <laughs> vaginas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What do they smell like and what should they smell like? Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Like it does. Vaginas do have a smell and that's okay. And a lot of it's kind of a, you know, a light, musty odor. They can be very different. They may have no smell. It may be a little more obvious, especially depending on where you are in your cycle. If you're having your period, it might smell a little like iron, you know, kind of that fragrance. And that's normal. And when I'm in the office or, you know, doing an exam, I always, people will apologize, especially if they're coming in, let's say to labor and delivery for a triage visit they didn't have planned. And they say, oh my goodness, Dr. Lincoln, I'm so sorry. I didn't shave and I didn't have time to shower. I'm like, that's cool. I didn't either. I've been here for 12 hours and I don't care either. So, you know, and I can guarantee you, I don't remember. And it does not affect my testing. The only time that I notice is, is, is if I think, oh, this might be an infection. Let's do some testing. No big deal. Yeah. So bush or no bush, what's the deal these days? I can't keep up. Right. I <laughs> is it is it Kojak or is it we you know, should ask seventies? Oh right? gosh. exactly. Well, mm-hmm. what do you what do we think? I think she probably. I think you is. should do whatever do whatever the hell you want because pubic hair has a purpose, mm-hmm. and not everybody knows that. I thought it was obvious, but during my time in social media, I have realized that is not something that people are always told. So pubic hair has a purpose. It decreases friction from your you know that skin on the vulva is very sensitive. It also mm-hmm. helps protect bacteria from going up into the vagina. And every mm-hmm. time that you remove hair, no matter how you do it, you increase your risk for infection at the site. And you also put yourself at slightly increased risk for getting sexually transmitted infections like HPV and other things. So I say if you want to remove it, go for it. But do it mm-hmm. if you want to do it. Mm-hmm. Understand the risks and benefits. And don't ever do it because you think that you need to look like that person on that porno or because your partner said they won't go down on you if you're not completely bare down there, because I guarantee you he's not, and he expects you to go down there. So do what you want to do, but just try to keep it safe, clean, hygienic. um, And there's definitely ways to do that. Well, that is great information because especially kids who, boys and girls Mm -hmm. who are watching porn, Mm -hmm. there is definitely no hair down there. No, 
Yeah, and they think it's normal. It's that time. We're going to talk <gasps> about sperm. So excited. <laughs> it's like um, your, your Christmas morning. Yes, yes. Okay, so talking about things that go in your vagina, there is a myth out there that you have to get up after sex, after sperm has been deposited and go pee. And mm-hmm. for that reason, a lot of women think that the sperm has gone into the same place that the pee comes out and then the pee washes everything away. Talk to us about yes. that. And also it has a very distinctive smell. What's mm-hmm. normal, what's not, what sperm yeah. is normal, what's not, what color should it be? Those kind mm-hmm. of things. Yeah. So you're right. People think that there's just two holes down there, the vagina and the anus. And there's three and Mm -hmm. no sperm doesn't go into your bladder. Um, So yeah, and it's up to you if you want to get up and pee afterwards. I tell people that if you're prone to infections, go for it. If not, enjoy the time in bed. You don't have to like run and go. If you want to hang out, cuddle, whatever. If you want to get up and pee, do that too. The odor of sperm, it can vary too, but it's kind of that musty, alkaline-y smell like they need like a scratch and sniff here, the way that we're describing things that <laughs> you can have with you while you're Ooh, listening to this. That's an idea. Um, yeah. But that's why I think, you know, you need you need to make that sperm candle that we've been talking about. Yes. Or, you know, just, you know, I yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah. Talking about the sperm candle, I'm interested to know if there are any nutritional benefits to sperm. Is there any nutritional benefits to rubbing it on your skin. I'm sure Gwyneth knows. <laughs> Obviously, know. Gwyneth knows. Gwyneth Why are you knows. asking me? Yeah, knows Gwyneth everything. knows. Gwyneth knows. Yeah. But as a doctor, I would mm. love to understand from you if it does, if it's not in your vagina, if it's in another mm-hmm. part of your body, is that going to be youthful? Like, what's yeah. the deal with I sperm? mean, there's protein in it and there, you know, it's, it's not harmful for sure. So, I mean, go for it. Yeah. If I'm going to pick a body fluid to rub on me, though, I'm going to pick breast milk because we know that that's got superfood. Pretty awesome. Superfood for babies. Um, I know. Like, we're talking about such crazy things today. But yeah, so sperm, you know, it normally looks like white or clear. Um, If it comes out and it looks, you know, it's got some funky colors to it, you might want to ask your partner to get tested. Although, God, I hope that that happened before you had sex. But hey, we're not perfect. I get it. Um, And it can change on taste based on what your partner has eaten, too. Mm. So vitamins can certainly change it, too. But yeah, it's it's got millions and millions and millions and millions of sperm in the semen. We're talking about really semen, not sperm. Um, And it just takes one. So if you are having vaginal sex with somebody who can leave semen in there, please use a plan A birth control. And if not, use a more, you know, an emergency contraceptive plan B kind of situation. Yep. Yep. As we know, yeah. uh, semen, sperm makes babies. So Hopefully using a contraceptive. know that. Yes. Well, <laughs> not everybody does though. Not everybody, you know, it's like you pray or the stork or yeah, it's crazy. Exactly. So now finally menopause, perimenopause. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. First of all, I, I hadn't even heard those words until a couple of years ago. And I've worked in public health for 25 years. The fact that nobody talks about perimenopause, menopause, vaginal dryness, right? That's Mm -hmm. a biggie. It's one of the biggest problems I'm sure your patients come in with. Talk to us about that. And what do we do about vaginal dryness? Yeah. So you're right. It hasn't been talked about. I feel like it's changing, like we're getting there. But I think the big reason it hasn't been talked about, it's a woman only thing. It's a vagina only thing. So does it really matter like in society? No. And it has to do with people who are past their prime. They are not the sex kittens that we 
idealize in, you know, in terms of, of what we need women for, which is to have, you know, to be that barely 18 and have sex and, and exist for pleasure. And they can't have babies anymore. So they're like totally useless to society. So we don't even think about them anymore. Like expired like, milk. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So who cares? And I'm saying all this facetiously, of course, but I really think that's a lot of why we have not talked about it more. Um, but the problem is, is that, you know, if you own a vagina, you're going to go through menopause. So that's like almost 50% of the population. So maybe mm-hmm. we should help them out. And the average age of menopause in the United States is about 51, but the perimenopausal period, that's the years leading up to it. And that can start as early as in your 40s. And what that means is that your periods might be a little irregular. You might notice hot flashes, and you might notice that vaginal dryness, which is related to the drop in estrogen hormone levels. And vaginal dryness can suck. Mm -hmm. And it can lead to an increased risk of vaginal infections, bladder infections, pain with sex, urinary incontinence. And the thing about it is that we have treatments and they work. But the problem is, is that if you're not talking about it, educating your patients or making them feel that they can come to you to talk about it, because again, it's just part of being a woman and dealing with it, then you're not going to know that those treatments work. And the best one for vaginal specific problems is vaginal estrogen. It works wonderfully. Um, There's other things too, like vaginal moisturizers for sure. There's also systemic hormones that you can take, either a pill or a ring or a patch. Um, but for really for that vaginal dryness symptoms, putting the estrogen where it needs to go, it can work really well and it can help keep that tissue nice and healthy so that you can keep having sex. One of the best things about sex after menopause is you don't have to worry about getting pregnant. And so a lot of people who go through menopause report their sex life afterwards is great because they're not stressed about mm. being pregnant, which I think is awesome. Are there any myths about what happens uh, during menopause? I mean, I think uh, what somebody said to me, I think it was a man, shocker. Oh, the <laughs> vagina shrivels up like a raisin and nobody wants to have sex anymore. Yeah. Is there any yeah. truth to I that? Think, I mean, there is definitely truth that the vagina changes, but it does not mean that it shrivels up and it like goes away and you're done and your sex life is over. But yes, related to decreased estrogen levels, the vagina can shorten a little bit. The skin can be friable or dry, but we can treat all of that. And one of the best ways that you can keep the vagina healthy is by using it, whether with a partner or with yourself or with a a dildo or something like that. Mm, So, mm, um, mm. yeah, and people can continue to have healthy sex lives up until the day they die. Yeah, good. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. I'm certainly not experiencing any of those symptoms, I will tell you. (laughs) Just bragging a little bit. Um, So you have written a book. Let's talk about down there. Uh, What made you write the book and tell us when it's coming out. We are thrilled for all of our listeners. You will be able to get it on thebodyagency.com. Write to us, secure it. Tell us when it's coming out. What's the journey? It uh, is so fun. So it comes out September 14th, but you can pre-order it today. And it's through Andrews McNeil Publishing. And yeah, things I never thought I'd be doing in a pandemic is pitching and writing a book about vaginas and reproductive health, but there we have it. Um, And it just came out because my social media was taking off and my friend who wrote a cookbook talked to her book agent and was like, you know, I've got this friend and she makes these TikToks about vaginas. I think there's a book in that. And thankfully, my book agent was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And so basically what we've done is we've put my TikToks, my Instagram posts in book form and it's broken down in question answers because that's how our brains think. And I think that this generation you know, we want information quickly, we consume it quickly. And that's how I wrote, I wrote to that audience. And it's in sections like, you know, periods and birth control basics and possibly pregnant and care down there. And it covers kind of all the top questions that I've gotten from my, my followers on social media, including stuff that I just 
don't have the time or the space to cover on social media. And what I love is that it's heavily illustrated. Mm. Uh, my my illustrator, Charlotte Wilcox, she is in the UK and she had some beautiful art showcased at the Vagina Museum in London. Mm-hmm. And I found her that way. And what I love is that she does, when she does her artwork, it actually looks like people. Like when mm. you see the vulvas she's drawn, they actually look like vulvas. They're all colors, shapes, sizes, just beautiful, inclusive work because I want anybody who reads my book to feel represented. And it's for people who, um, I say vagina owners because it's, it, I use inclusive language. And so I think that it can really benefit everybody. Um, and really, I, I pitch it as the book that it's not the first puberty book that you give to your 12-year-old daughter, but it's the one she reads afterwards when she's like 16, 17, going off to college because it a- answers the questions that she really wants to know. Yeah. Like, if yeah. I do want to remove hair, how do I do it? How do I clean a dildo? Yeah. When can I get pregnant in my cycle? Um, so super fun. It was a super fun process. Now, seeing as you actually inspired this vulva puppet, because I watched a TikTok of you, and then I actually found this amazing group of ladies in Southeast Asia in Laos who are disabled, and they have a social enterprise, and they're making them. So in your mind, who needs a vulva puppet? I think everybody knows. <laughs> yeah. I think vul- vul- vulva owners should be able to understand their anatomy, and we don't often see that. So it's a great tool to use if you're a parent, if you're trying to show your child mm-hmm. what things look like, and also for parents of boys, because like you said, we're not teaching them enough. Yeah. One of the things I love to do with my patients is I give them a mirror, and I say, let's take a look down there. And we look, and I walk them through their anatomy, and I say, here's your clitoris, here's your urethra, here's your vagina, this, you know, labia minora, et cetera. And I say, now go home and take a look and, and figure out where you touch, where it feels the good. And having yep. a puppet can help with that. And I love that the story you shared with me about those puppets is that those women sewed it with their feet, Kate. That is yeah, insane. I know. Well, I love it. I know. They're disabled. So they not all of them can use their hands. And so yeah. they're, they hand sew them and make the cotton themselves. And so amazing. The great thing about this is our order of these puppets keeps their social enterprise going. And they mm-hmm. then teach other disabled women how to have their own business. And so and it's amazing. all women with disabilities. So we're thrilled to give back from these. Um, this is tragic, but we're at the end, which means we're going to have to do part deux because yes. there's so many more things I want to talk to you about. <laughs> <laughs> Let's end with our show is called Sex, Body, and Soul. Can you give us three tips how you live your life around one thing about sex, one mm-hmm. thing about your body? Let me guess. It will be your vagina. Uh, <laughs> feel free to choose the body part you wish. And then what feeds your soul? Yeah. When it comes to sex, I think the most important thing is to detox you. I've detoxed myself and everybody should detox themselves from the harmful ideas of what society has taught Mm, us about sex. mm. So stop thinking that you should look, act, smell, whatever, like you've seen in the movies, because it's almost all completely fake. Same thing like with childbirth that I tell my patients when they come in and they're like, but it's not like, you know, this hasn't gone like it has in the movies. I was like, yeah, because it's all fake. So um, I think that's really important and to believe that your body is beautiful and Sex can be beautiful and pleasurable and it's not dirty. And then in terms of the body, I think it's really important. One of the things that I do every day is you need to care for your body. We as women, we tend to be caregivers and we care for other people and we at the expense of our own health. So that means I want you to make sure that you're caring for yourself, whatever that looks like for you, but prioritize yourself, get your screenings, talk to your doctor, Mm -hmm. find somebody who listens to you and who is seeing all of you, not just the one organ that they tend to focus on. Mm -hmm. And in terms of your soul, 
the same thing. Um, detox yourself from people who suck the soul out of you. And that means yeah. if you see stuff in your social media feed that makes you feel anxious because you're saying, oh gosh, I should be doing this. I need to be doing that. I have to buy this product. Gwyneth says I need this. The best way that you can detox your soul and, and make your soul feel like you don't need these harmful messages is to not give them the power of being put in front of your eyes. So replace your feed, replace your life with people who actually feed your soul rather than drain it. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jennifer Lincoln, who is my inspiration in so many ways. Thank you for being on the show. All of our listeners, please, please get her book. You can find it also on thebodyagency.com. And I look forward to having you back on the show. Thank you. Oh, I can't wait, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Sex, Body, and Soul. Remember, you can find all of my favorite products and resources to support your health and sexual wellness through my one-stop shop, The Body Agency. Be sure to sign up for our email list at thebodyagency.com for the latest curated recommendations from our industry experts. Thanks for listening.